0: is a, a biological father but also those who are spiritual fathers so I want to encourage uh, everyone uh, to allow the father to take the big piece of chicken today I want to encourage you guys to allow them to do whatever they want to do today that means they want to sit in front of the TV for a couple hours, hours that means they want to uh, go back to their roots and play Playstation today, whatever they want to do today I want, to get, I want them to get a pass to do what they want to do amen my brother, yes sir Uh, This morning, we want to continue our series on discipleship. Uh, Over the past uh, couple of weeks, we have been digging deep into the issue of discipleship, and we want everyone to know that discipleship is the process where one disciple or one follower of Christ intentionally uh, invests in another follower of Christ with the ultimate goal of spiritual multiplication. It again it is when one believer intentionally invests their life into another believer for the purpose of spiritual multiplication the key is investing not because we want to have more numbers right we are not into more numbers but when you look at the scripture and when you look at God's plan to reach the world God always desires to raise up laborers not about numbers it's about God developing laborers. On last Sunday we focused on the ninth chapter of the gospel according to Matthew where Jesus simply said that the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. In the passage we clearly see that there is an opportunity to experience a harvest. A harvest meaning uh, people are able to experience a growing and dynamic relationship with Jesus. But the passage also presents an obstacle. There's an opportunity, but there's also a significant obstacle. And the significant ob- obstacle in the text is that the laborers are few. As we began the sermon this morning, uh, one, of the, one of the questions that we wanted to consider last week was, what is hindering me, I want everybody to ask this question, what is hindering me personally from investing in others spiritually? what is hindering me personally what is hindering thomas settles from giving my life and to living my life in such a way where i am intentionally investing in other people for the purpose of spiritual multiplication matter of fact i only want to use the term discipleship or spiritual multiplication because really that seems very religious and kind of aloof and kind of over our heads i want you to just think about this word investment like what is hindering you from investing in others spiritually what is hindering you from taking what god has given you and passing that on to someone else as we consider the opportunity before us we've got to know that god desires for us to be laborers right uh, not bible thumpers not uh pharisees not super duper christians not perfect people but god desires that you live your life in such a way that you are a laborer. When you look at this issue, it really is a reminder of God's love language. Last week we talked about how uh, in marriage we understand that um, everybody has a different love language and we are called to love our spouses the way they desire to be loved. You are to love a person well uh, when you are loving them the way they desire to be loved. The issue that we gotta understand is, discipleship is a significant issue for everyone to consider because we must see it through the lenses of what God loves and how God desires to be loved. The big takeaway last week was caring for others and investing in others is a part of God's love language. Our vertical love for God is always expressed in our horizontal relationship with other people that means if i really want to love god if i really want to love god well then i must ask myself the question how does god desire to be loved like how does the lord want me to love him how does god want me to express my love my devotion my dependence and my worship to him you go back to John 21, Jesus asked Peter a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? And the Lord responded, uh Jesus asked Peter, uh, do you love me? Peter responded, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responded, Then go and feed my sheep. I want you to pause for a moment this morning. I want you to consider if it was just you and Jesus here this morning. If you were standing right in front of the Lord. And Jesus asked you the question, do you love me? What would be your response? But more importantly, I want you to think about the second question. After responding, yes, Lord, I love you because we all know the Christian answer to give. What do you think Jesus' response would be back to you? If Jesus said, do you love me? And you responded, yes, Lord, I love you. What do you think that Jesus would respond to you by saying? So some of us operate as if Jesus re- would respond by saying, if you love me, then I want you to show up once a week to a building. For others of us, we operate as if Jesus says, if you love me, then occasionally you will post something on, in- on Instagram or on Facebook. Others of us, we respond and we operate as if God's response to us would be, if you love me, then you're going to live a life trying to impress people or if you love me, you are going to live life only addressing certain biblical issues while ignoring other biblical issues. And I want to help everyone out this morning. If Jesus were here this morning, which he is here this morning, because we know that God is, I'm not present, meaning he is everywhere at the same time. But if Jesus was physically here, the way he was with Peter, he would ask us, and he asked us the question, do you love me? His response would be, then go and feed my sheep. His response would be, I want you to leave this building, I want you to get out your comfort zone, and I want you to live your life in such a way where you are investing in other people for the purpose of spiritual multiplication. That's why we're doing this series. Like That's why we're preaching on discipleship, because we want to love God the way God desires to be loved. We don't want to simply... I have a relationship with God that is based upon our own terms because that's the, that's the, that's the struggle, right? We, we want a relationship with God, but we want that relationship with God to look like we want it to look. It's kind of like a, a selfish a man who just wants a relationship with a woman for her body, right? He wants to have sex with her, but he's not willing to commit with her. That is selfish. We understand that. But spiritually, we can be the same way with God. We, we can have a relationship with God that is marked by getting to heaven and having all of my prayers answered and not having a bad day. And we have cre- created this, this relationship in our mind that is not biblical and is not consistent with the scriptures. So today, that's why we are uh, going to slowly and methodically preach through what does it look like for you to be a disciple. Now, I've gotten some pushback uh, in my sermon, which I love. I love having conversations with people about this because some people uh, have been in church for a significant season for 20 30 years and they've never heard this and it's like hold on Thomas this is like like I kind of feel like you're on a soapbox right now but but I I want you to 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 step away from the series and I want you to diligently search the scriptures and I want you to ask yourself okay is this is, is this Thomas's thing is this Thomas' idea, or is this what the scriptures are calling us all to do? And if it's my thing, forget about it. But if it's God's thing, every one of us must take a moment to reflect and wrestle with, how can I live this out, and how can I apply this in my life? I want you to look at the screen closely, because I think we're, we're getting it that God desires for us to make disciples, but some of us have, um, have, have come to me and said, hey, T, I, I get it we're supposed to make disciples, I get it, we're supposed to invest in others, but I have no idea where to start, I have no idea what this is to look like. So look at the screen closely. There's a model there, thank you, my man in the back, that expresses um, four E's of discipleship, right? If you look at the model, we want to have a, a, a framework or a model that we're going by as a church, right? If you look at it, On the first, the top right corner, the first step is evangelism. When a person uh, does not have a relationship with God, the first thing we are called to do is to share about Jesus, right? The second step is establishing, right? We are to help people who have faith in Christ take new steps of faith in Christ. Thirdly, when a person is establishing their faith, when they have a relationship with Jesus, the next step is to help them be equipped, right? We are to equip them uh, to do the work of the ministry. And then, lastly, after a person has been established, or after the person has been evangelized and established and and, um, and equipped, then they are called to be exported. We are to we are to send them out on a mission. Like going on mission is not about going to a continent; it's not about taking a spring break, spring break trip. But living on mission is saying, "I want to live. I want to leverage my my time, my talents, and my treasures so that I can make disciples." will one day make disciples so on last week we tackled the first e which is evangelism and today we're going to look at the second e which which is establishing if you have your bibles i want you to turn with me to acts chapter number eight i want to read verses 26 through verse 4 acts chapter number eight verse 26 through 40 And let me know you have it by saying amen. And the scripture declares, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. Uh, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading uh, the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him saying, heard him reading uh, Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now this passage of scripture that he was reading was like this like a sheep he was led for slaughter, like a lamb before its shearers he is uh shearer is silent so he opened not his mouth and it is in his humiliation justice was denied him who who can who can describe his this, his generation for his life was taken away from the earth and the eunuch said to, to Philip Ab- about whom I ask you does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else then Philip opened his mouth and beginning and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus and he passed through. Uh, through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Uh, just for a few moments this morning, I want to preach from the subject title A Divine Appointment in the Desert. A Divine Appointment in the Desert. Let me pray for us, Father, I thank you for uh, the precious opportunity that you give us to hear from you and to learn more about you. God, I really sincerely pray that you would help us to see exactly what you are calling us to do and be as disciples of Jesus. God, I know this is tough. I know this is hard. I know this is uncomfortable. God, but I pray that you would not let us be comfortable, and I pray, God, you would not allow us to have an easy and stress-free life, when we are about building our own kingdom and not building your own building your kingdom god help us to see exactly what this looks like in our lives God, i pray that you would take the truth of this text and you would allow the truth of this text to transform our lives we love you father and we thank you it's in your name i pray amen Uh, before recognizing my call to the ministry i initially uh, thought that i was being called into the world of business While I was at Morehouse College, I eventually majored in business management, and I believed uh, that the hardest class I took at Morehouse was a class called uh, business policy. Uh, In that class, uh, we would study different business models, and we would spend time evaluating the companies. Uh, During my time taking the course, I was frequently stunned by the fact that many of the most successful businesses in our country had extremely humble beginnings. There's actually a, a ABC news story that highlights uh, companies or that, that highlights nine of the most successful companies in America, and they were all begin, began in garages. Apple was founded in 1976 inside of a garage. It's funny that today's Father's they, they say that there are more Apple products in homes than fathers. So think about that. Apple has more products in American homes than dads. And actually, the the company was began in a garage. Amazon was started in 1994, it was started in in a garage. Google was started in 1998, it was started in a garage. Um, Mattel, the Mattel tour company, Hewlett Packard, Microsoft, Dell, all of these companies were began inside a garage, so side note, If you are an entrepreneur and you don't have a garage, you may want to (laughs) move. In in our seriousness, though, when, when we hear about these companies and their current value in light of their initial location, it should remind all of us to never despise humble and small beginnings. That is true concerning the companies I mentioned, but more importantly, it is true concerning the individual in the text that we read about. The passage that I read about, uh, Acts chapter number eight, is a is a passage that gives us a glimpse. Of a person who was committed to discipleship, it gives us a glimpse of a person who was committed to spiritual multiplication. When you look at the life of this man named uh, Philip, you see, number one, that he was committed to the proclamation of the gospel, that's evangelism. But secondly, he was committed to the application of the gospel, which is establishing Uh, He didn't stop at sharing God's story. He went a step further to make sure that his brother uh, took another step of faith. I believe the second E uh, in discipleship is very important because it reminds us that God has a desire for each and every one of us to grow. That God has a desire for each and every one of us to not settle for less than his best. Yes, Christ loves us. Yes, Christ died for us. Yes, all that's true. But here's what's also true. God has a desire that you and I grow. Yes, Christ meets us where we are. No, we do not have to change who we are to have a relationship with God. But here's the truth. Once we have a relationship with Christ, Christ will never leave you how you were. God desires for you to take steps of faith. And just as a biological parent uh, has the expectation that, your, that their children grow, so we also have a heavenly father who has a desire and an expectation that you and I are growing spiritually. Uh, anybody, um, anybody ever driven down 129? Um, there's a little small town uh, called Arcade and uh, I want to encourage you if you ever drive down 129 I want to encourage you to drive very very slowly okay (laughs) those folks, those police in Arcade God bless them, they are solid individuals (laughs) but they are looking to give you a ticket right I do not want you to hear me saying that as Christians that God is in heaven like the police in Arcade waiting for you to break the law I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying that the Lord is is upset and waiting to give you a ticket. I'm not saying that this morning. But here's what I am saying. That God desires for you to take steps of faith. That it encourages the Lord to see you growing. It blesses God to see you taking steps of maturity. Just as a parent, and I know I got four kids, and and, and, and y'all probably get tired of me talking about my kids and, you know, Titus can use the bathroom without pooping in his diaper and I'm doing a cartwheel, right? You guys don't care about that, right? But when you get up and you move from not coming to church to, ha- to having a consistent uh, Bible-believing church, God gets excited. Like, when you have a daily, consistent time with God, God gets excited. When you are taking steps of faith, when you are growing and you are maturing in your faith, the Bible tells us that the Lord gets excited because he desires for us to grow. In our text, we see a man who is modeling what it looks like for us to help others take steps of faith. Yes, it is important for us to have a healthy relationship with God, but we also— need to be investing in others and helping other people take steps of faith now here's what's important about philip when we are first introduced to philip no one would have pegged him as a great disciple or a great apostle or a great evangelist i want you to go back with me uh, two chapters to acts uh, chapter six and i want you to tell i want i want you to, uh, to hear the description of philip when he is introduced to us in the bible acts chapter number six But we would devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, and what they said pleased the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. There's some more names than verse 6 says. These they're hard names. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and prayed and laid hands on them. In chapter 6, the church is growing at a huge rate, and the apostles were so covered up that they needed hope so they appointed men to serve and when we are first introduced to philip he is appointed as a servant i want you to catch this he specifically is responsible for waiting tables now i I don't want to i don't want to disparage anybody in here there are a lot of folks uh, who work in the restaurant profession right the illustration i'm about to make does not disparage anyone who works in a restaurant they're great restaurants right i feel like the greatest restaurant of all time is chick-fil-a right god's blessing is on that place right but no matter how nice the restaurant if you are cleaning up tables that means you are at the lowest part of the totem pole right you are at the bottom of what would would be considered the hierarchy so when we are first uh, introduced to philip he is a serving he's called to hand out food he's called to clean up tables but here's the greatest thing about him the bible says he is faithful right philip is not philip is not called to a glorious position but he's faithful he's not given an elaborate title but he is he's faithful he's not given uh, a job that most people would desire but he is faithful i'm convinced that this is a good word for all of us because many of us have come to believe that success should be easy and it should be instant. We have concluded that if God's hand is upon us, then we ought to have some title, we ought to have some big ministry, we ought to have some big business, we ought to have some glamorous profession. But when you look at the text, this man begins his ministry by simply being faithful. I'm amazed by some of the stories of great leaders uh, who were humble and had very meager beginnings but how, how God blessed them tremendously um, I personally love uh, listening to Pastor Tony Evans if you guys are wondering uh, who do I listen to most as a pastor hands down no question I listen to Tony Evans more so than anybody else right? Um, because I've listened to him so much I've heard him tell the story a couple of times of how he was um, called to ministry he felt called to plant a church he felt that like the Lord was going to move mightily in his life right but after the call after the ministry after the big vision he found himself working on uh, the late night shift the shift from 11 to 7 at the greyhound bus station in dallas and he says like he never he never thought that that's what god would call him to but the great thing about him is he was just faithful at the greyhound bus station Before he was faithful at the church, before he planted the church, before he had the radio ministry, before he started traveling the world, before he became the the, the Dallas Cowboys chaplain, before he did any of those things, he was faithful at the night shift at the Greyhound bus station. For for me, that is is a challenge because it's easy for us to have the the mindset that that I'll be more faithful when, right? I'll be more faithful when we move to a new building. I'll be more faithful if if I'm single. I'll be more faithful when I'm married. If I'm in an apartment, I'll be more faithful when I get a house, right? I'll be more faithful when I have kids. Like, it's easy for us to have this mindset that I'll be more faithful when, when the reality of it is God is calling you to be faithful right where you are, not when you get more resources, not when you get more titles, not when you get more blessings. God wants you to be faithful right where you are. I love Philip's example because he was faithful. Uh, he He was faithful where he was planted and he was willing to grow where he had been planted i I talk to talk to people all the time and it seems like they get frustrated when they don't have more responsibility or more influence or more authority and i think that all of us would do well myself included with taking a few moments to evaluate am i being faithful where i am am i being faithful with god with, with what god has put on my plate Am I being faithful with what God has entrusted me to have? Because the Bible tells us that when we are faithful over little, God will give us more to be faithful over. So in chapter 6, he's serving tables. But in chapter number 8, verse number 4, it says that he is now speaking. Chapter 8, verse 4 says, Now those <coughs> who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed uh, to, them, uh, to them Christ. And the crowds were, with one accord, uh, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, uh, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had had them, and many were many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. In chapter number six, Philip is simply serving. Then, in chapter number eight, he is now speaking. At the beginning of chapter number 8, God uses Philip to minister to the multitudes, but in chapter number 8, verse 26, he is now ministering to a man. Uh, Philip wasn't a professional. Uh, he didn't have the most experience. He didn't have the most knowledge. Uh, to my knowledge, he had not been a seminary. He had not been to rabbi school. He had, not, uh, had, he had not been given a special title like prophet or evangelist or preacher, but he was willing to allow God to use him right where he was. So, some have said the the, the greatest ability is availability that he was willing to be available to god using him in a mighty way i i when i when i think about him i'm not even in my, into my points yet it's 1203 when i think about him i think about his life it really does challenge me because I, it doesn't matter where i am it doesn't matter what what, what i'm doing Doesn't matter my title. Doesn't matter my profession. Doesn't matter my role. Doesn't matter about all those things. What matters most is can I be faithful over what God has given me? I'm being faithful over my family. Am I being faithful over my finances? Am I being faithful to to love my children well? Am I being faithful to be a good brother to the brothers that the Lord has allowed me to do life with? Is my family being faithful to other families who we are connected to, right? Because it's easy for us, once again, to say, when I get a little older, a little richer, a little wiser, a little bit more experienced, then I'll be faithful. But God is calling us to be faithful right where we are. When I look at the text, there is a divine appointment in the desert. And the first thing that we see is during this appointment, we see that Philip was sensitive to the prompting of God's spirit. Verse 26 says, Now angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Uh, From reading Acts 6 and Acts 8, it is clear that this man, Philip, was willing to work. He was willing to serve. He was a man who was serving food. He was cleaning tables. He was preaching to the crowd. But now he is willing to preach to a man. It's amazing to me that he wasn't so busy that he could not hear God's voice. He wasn't so busy with life and climbing the corporate ladder in Jerusalem and focusing on building his personal wealth and, and accomplishing great experiences that he, was so, he wasn't so busy that he could not hear God's still, small voice. I was, um, was going to take y'all to a passage in 1 Kings 18 and 19. I don't have time to go there, but I want you to read 1 Kings 18 and 19 this week. A couple of weeks ago, I shared this passage with the, the men of our church. In chapter 18, you have a tremendous victory by this man who was a prophet. He is able to defeat over 400 um, prophets of a, of a false god. Then when you get to verse, uh, chapter number 19, he, is, he goes from a great victory to running away uh, for his life in chapter number 19 he's running he is he's overwhelmed he's consumed and in verse chapter 19 verse 11 God begins to speak to him and minister to him I love the passage because there's there's an earthquake there's fire there's thunder and the text tells us very specifically that God does not speak through the fire God does not speak through the thunder but God spoke to him in a still small voice God spoke to him in a whisper uh, it, is a, it is a principle that I have been constantly wrestling with. Thomas, are you, are you slowing down so you can hear the whisper? Right? Are you, are you slowing down your life to a place where if God speaks to you, are you willing to hear it? I'm not talking about spooky stuff. God spoke to me about a new car, a new house. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm saying, am I, am I, am I calming down my life such that if the Lord speaks to me about Calling a brother, am I listening to that? If the Lord speaks to me about serving somebody else, am I listening to that? If the Lord speaks to me about one of my kids who's struggling. Like, if the Lord speaks to me about one of my kids who's having a hard time, if the Lord speaks to me about a family member who's in crisis, if the Lord speaks to me about a member of our body who needs some some help. Like, am I am I sensitive enough to God's Spirit that I can hear that? In the text, you see that that Philip is busy. He has a growing and thriving ministry. He's doing a lot of great things, but he's still sensitive to the Spirit of God speaking to his life. It's amazing to me that that God takes him from a place of fruit, uh, he's in jerusalem he's preaching he's seeing people saved. he's having a tremendous impact and god says i want you to leave the place of impact i want you to leave a place uh, where you've had tremendous fruit and i want you to go to a place that is more like a desert i want you to leave the place where people are hearing the gospel and people are growing i want you to go to the place where people are, are seemingly not available in the text, he, he listens to God. God speaks to him. And he rises up and he obeys the voice of the Lord because he is truly connected to God. So first, he's sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit. But secondly, he is sensitive to the power of the gospel. When you look at verses 30 through 38, what stands out to me is there are four questions that are presented in very sequential order first the question is posed by philip he says do you understand what you're reading i love the example because philip takes interest into another person's faith philip is not so busy not so self-consumed Have you ever talk to somebody who who they're not really interested in anything you have to say they're interested about hearing themselves talk right philip isn't that kind of guy he asked him hey do you understand what you're reading and then um, secondly the, the, the eunuch responds by saying how can I understand unless someone explains it to me well, what, a, what a humble response like I, so many times especially in church we want to feel like I can't ask a question because if I ask a question um, people are going to look at me differently like I got to kind of reach this certain spiritual plane where I kind of got it all together and I got, I'm all buttoned up so no one can, can think that I don't, like, that, that, so that no one can, can assume that I don't have it all together. But in the text, the, the, the eunuch is hungry and humble because he is willing to ask the question. He's willing to say, I need someone to explain the truth of God's word to me. As I was preparing my sermon, I was just so... I was so grieved because it's easy for us in the church to have an expectation of the world when we're not engaging with the world explaining the truths of God's word. Like, how can we expect the world to understand what it means to have a marriage if the church is not engaged in explaining what marriage is? Like, how can we expect the world understand god's plan for being a biblical parent if the church i'm talking about the people not just the 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 organization but if the people are not explaining it from a biblical perspective like how can people understand serving or giving or social uh justice issues or the sanctity of life like how can we understand these issues if the church is not out explaining and clarifying and applying the truth of god's word first you have the question do you understand what you're reading thirdly he says how can i understand this unless someone explains it to me then he asks another question he says who is the prophet talking about is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else the ethiopian essentially says tell me what this stuff means i need someone to help me figure out he doesn't ask him, uh, tell me how to have a more significant life. He says, tell me what the scriptures mean. And when Philip responds, he doesn't respond with, hey, here are three keys to be a better husband or a better father. Here are three keys uh, for, it to, for you to have your, your best life now. He doesn't say any of that. He says, here is what the scriptures say about Jesus. And in doing that, we see that the, the eunuch is able to move from death to life. Philip stuck with the gospel. He doesn't entice him with the benefits of the gospel. He's willing to share the truth of the scriptures and in sharing the truth of the scriptures. The fourth question is, uh, can I be baptized? It's a, it's a beautiful picture of a person saying, now that I understand the gospel message, I want to make a bold proclamation to the world that I belong to Jesus. Now last night, we had, a, we had a wedding at our house. It was a, it was a fun time. Um, they, were, they, they were a little upset with me because uh, they wanted to have a real toast, but it's okay, though. I said, this is the preacher's house. We can't do that right now. Nothing wrong with it, but we were not doing it in my house, right? But after the wedding, my wife and I, we just sat down and we talked about how much fun we had. and We talked about how we loved and enjoyed spending time together. We talked about how much... Uh, how much it, it encouraged us in our marriage and how it encouraged us to continue to love and serve one another, right? We, we even looked at our rings and, you know, my wife always says, thank you for the ring you gave me. And I look at the ring she gave me and it's, it's such a, this ring is such a wonderful picture of the covenant relationship I have with my wife. But here's the truth, right? If I take the ring off, it doesn't mean I'm no longer married. The ring is a symbol and a reminder that I, am, that I belong to, to my wife. Baptism is the same way. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not mean that you are a Christian. But when we are baptized, it it significantly uh, proclaims to the world that my faith and my trust and my hope is in Christ. So first, we see the sensitivity to the prompting of the Spirit. Secondly, we see the sensitivity of the power. We see sensitivity to the power of the gospel. And then thirdly, we see sensitivity to the people responding to the gospel. Verse 39 says, And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Uh, I'm not going to cut my sermon short today because there's, there's something I've got to say, right, about this text. And before I close, I, I've got to highlight, and I've got to address the issue um, that is prevalent in our culture and our society and I believe it's one of the most significant attacks on the church today. Um, because of our country and because of the tensions um, that are present racially, um, Satan desires to use the tensions in our country that, that are surrounding our race, that are surrounding our social injustice to divide us, right? Um, it's, it's, it's an issue that is, that is hard. It's an issue that's tough. And it's an issue that the church, we've got to lean in. Right? We cannot ignore it. We cannot skirt it. We cannot act like everything's okay. We've got to address issues of race. We've got to address issues of social injustice. We've got to be willing to be at the forefront of the conversation, right? Uh, and since I am willing to engage in these conversations, one of the, one of the um, statements that has been made recently that I think that is gaining a lot of steam is that black people should never be Christians, right? One of the thoughts um, behind the statement is that since Christianity, this is the argument, it's not true, but here's the argument. Christianity was introduced to black people via slavery. And any black person who accepts Christianity is essentially accepting the religion of our oppressors. And several black people who I've talked to are beginning to think that, well, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be a Christian because I'm only a Christian because of slavery and white people bringing black people to America and forcing religion on them. I want to say, number one, that yes, when you look at the history of our country and you look at the history of the world, absolutely Christians used Christianity and they use biblical passages as a way of pacifying and a way of explaining away as as a way of explaining away uh, the wrong that is slavery in this country. There's been a lot of Christians who've used the scriptures, who've used the Bible to try to justify what they have done and I've even heard, which I think is the, the dumbest thing ever, I've even heard people say that's why slavery was okay because if black people had never been enslaved, then they would have never heard the gospel. That is, as a, as a Christian, no matter if you're black or white, that should be one of the most offensive things you've ever heard. Number one, because slavery's motivation was not the love of God, it was the love of money. That's number one. Number two, got to understand that passages in the scripture like this are a reminder that the gospel reached Africa before slavery. If you look at the text, the Ethiopian had Isaiah 53 before he met Philip, which meant that he had access to the scriptures before slavery, even before the New Testament. He is from Ethiopia. He is from the continent of Africa, and he has the scrolls right there. He is reading and trying to understand them. Secondly, it also tells us that he is baptized into the New Testament church, and he goes back to Africa to share the gospel. He leaves rejoicing because he leaves to carry the message of Christ. When you look at Acts chapter number 8, and you connect with the church fathers like Tertullian and St. Augustine and the Northern African uh, spread of religion, that uh, happened—let me say this—the Northern African spread of Christianity— That happened way before Christianity or way before slavery ever took place. For any black person or white person to think that black people only heard the gospel because of slavery is stupid. For you to accept that means that you are ignorant. And when we see the text, when we see the scriptures very clearly saying that here is an Ethiopian, an African person who has Isaiah 53, he has the scroll, he's reading the scroll, and he leaves rejoicing to return home for you to think that the only way black people would have ever heard about Jesus through slavery, it just blows my mind. Now, yes, we must understand that that we don't know exactly who heard and who did not hear, but we must understand that I am a Christian before I am black. I am a follower of Jesus before I am a follower of my race. And that goes whether you're black, whether you're white, that goes whether you're male, whether you're female, that goes whether you're rich or you're poor. We must understand that our identity is in Christ before anything else. As I close this morning, I have just three very, very simple points of application, right? When we look at the text, we, first, we must first understand that we are called to be faithful exactly where we have been planted. Discipleship is a great opportunity because you don't need a church. You don't need a title. You don't need some formal ordination to have an impact on the kingdom of God. If God has planted you as a school teacher, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a professor, if god has planted you as a construction worker no matter what he's planted you he has planted you there and you need to be faithful exactly where god has planted you and then secondly we need to be willing to grow where we've been planted like it is not enough for you to just be a christian right like god's desire for your life is bigger than you just praying a prayer and not going to hell Like God wants you to grow in that relationship and God wants to use you in a mighty way while you're here. Thirdly, well, firstly, we got to be faithful where we've been planted. Secondly, we got to be willing to grow where we have been planted. And then thirdly, we must be sensitive to God's leading because God might plant you in a different place. I'm going to pray for us and the band's going to sing. Well, Chris is going to sing a little bit but I want us to take a few moments to ask ourselves the question, are we being faithful with what God has planted us? Are we growing with what God has planted us? And then lastly, are we willing to be sensitive if God wants to plant us in a different place? Let me pray for us, Father, I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you for how you've blessed us. Pray God as we continue to worship As we continue to reflect on your word, God, I ask that you would help us God, to really apply this truth in our lives. God, don't let us leave here having said, wow, that was was an okay message. Or wow, the, the, the praise team sound great. Or wow, we only got two more Sundays in this building. God, help us to leave here wrestling with how can we be faithful right where we are. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.